I'm Jack Moylan, and you're listening to Let's Talk Business, a podcast geared towards young professionals served with a side of witty commentary. At Lutz, we rally around the mantra, make light, meaning be lighthearted, illuminate solutions, and create energy. We hope this episode will do just that. Let's make the complex simple. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Let's Talk Business. Today, we're talking about the art of networking. I know we've, we've talked with Scott Carrico, as well as a couple other individuals here at Lutz about networking. But here with me is uh, Vice President of Investor Relations at Metonic Real Estate Solutions, Josh White. Josh, I'm excited to talk to you today. Like I said, I, uh, I've been, have been excited to get to know you and, and introduce myself to you. So if, if you don't mind, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what you do at Metonic, if I'm saying that correctly, I think I am. And, you are. And, um, you know, kind of what your role is. Absolutely. And thanks for having me on today, Jack. It's always a pleasure to be part of anything that Lutz is doing. And I, and I think uh, you guys do such a great job in a lot of different areas, as we talked about before. And it's, it's, I'm, I feel like it's a real pleasure to meet you today. So, yeah, my vice president of investor relations at Metonic, and you're exactly right. You said it correctly. And I'll start with Metonic. Metonic is a real estate investment firm. So um, that's what I want to say right at the beginning. We are an investment firm. We focus on buying and selling multifamily property. We currently have close to 80 assets under management, and we provide exceptional homes for residents as well as an unparalleled experience for our investor partners. So you just got my uh, my, uh, your elevator pitch, pitch, which you're going to ask me about, but we do, we focus on a really a couple of areas. So we buy existing property, uh, and they might be a hundred units to 400 units and we build ground up development too. And my role in, as the head of investor relations is really a couple of things. We, I provide strategic leadership for our brand locally through our marketing efforts. I also, uh, am the lead when it comes to our capital raise strategy. So when I'm going out and seeking investors, finding investors, individuals or groups or companies, I help set up the strategy and then execute on it as well. And then I also am am intimately involved with communicating to our investors throughout the investment process. So there's a lot to that that goes into it. My background, I'm a non-practicing attorney uh, and I've worked in a couple of different industries. I spent many years in college athletics at UNO and in Lincoln, as well as the NCA headquarters. I was part of a technology mobile app startup company. Uh, and I also helped launch the Gooseman Law Firm office here in Omaha. And I am involved with business coaching. Uh, I like to help people both personally and professionally, married to a wonderful gal named Jen, and I have a 15-year-old son, Leo. So you just got my entire life. There you go. That's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, what do they like to say? Recovering attorneys? Is that? Yes. Yes. I say that often and with pride. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I've got, um, I don't know if, uh, we've got a couple of guys over here that, that are, you know, they like to say the same, they have the same line. I'm a recovering attorney, recovering lawyer. So, um, I guess great education. It's a great education and a great skill set to have. But yeah, I'm happy to be on uh, in the in the real estate world. Sorry. So, no, you're fine. How long were you practicing law then? I didn't. So I oh, went you didn't. to school to work in sports. And I had the intentionality back in the 90s, which was kind of odd. But uh, I ended up going to law school because of John Grisham. I read a book that said law schools for people that don't know what they want to do with their life. And then uh, I saw the movie Jerry Maguire and thought it was going to be a sports <laughs> 
That's perfect. Well, that's great. I saw that uh, in, in your profile, it says you, you were the assistant AD at University of Nebraska Lincoln, right? It was for four years. I had two years with Steve Peterson and two with Coach Osborne. Uh, and that means I had, you know, a great group of coaches and staff around there. And then I came up to Omaha in 2010 and uh, worked on the leadership team with Trev Alberts when we went Division Two to Division One and built Baxter Arena and all the amazing things that have happened at, in UNO's campus as well. That, that's awesome. Yeah, I guess your your involvement in Baxter Arena, do you think that th- did that lead you into Matonic and kind of the real estate investment realm or is it the other way around? You know, that's a great, it's a great segue into kind of networking and building relationships. I would say that working at UNO from 2010 to 2016 really launched my entrepreneurial spirit. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, you get to a certain point and you start developing all these great relationships around the community. And I, I started, the light bulb went on that Omaha is such an amazing place. And that didn't spark the interest in real estate, but it definitely sparked my interest in developing really, really close business relationships, which I think I've always done, but I put some real intentionality behind it um, at UNO. Yeah, I imagine you probably get to a point where you're like, gosh, I know a lot of people and I know a lot of people that can do a lot of things. I should do something with this, right? Right. That's right. You know, networking, it's, it's some people hate the word and I laugh because it, you can say it. It is networking, but to me, the best networkers are the ones who build deep relationships. Uh-huh. This business setting. I mean, the best networkers are people, in my experience, that develop real, trusted, like long-term relationships and are not transactional in nature, but very authentic and real. So where did you grow up then? I grew up in Reno, Nevada. So I'm I'm a trans, although I call myself a Midwesterner now, but Really, I was I was born a Husker fan. I love sports from an early age. And my parents both went to Lincoln. My grandparents were in Lincoln. And so every summer I'd come back and I thought it was warm weather, you know, uh, golf and Huskers. And then I uh, came to school here and met a gal from Nebraska, from Omaha, actually. And, and so hence why I'm in Omaha. Yeah, right. So that's I guess I asked that question because I a lot of my personal network, um, I'm fortunate enough to have, you know, have been gifted it by my parents, right? Their friends, their, uh, my family, my family's friends, um, oh, and yeah. their children as well. And so that's been an extremely valuable resource for me to tap into. So I'm wondering, did, were, you know, were you, did you have some leads, I suppose, in terms of your network from your folks or how has that been in terms of people you knew here in Omaha and Lincoln area? That's a great question. I, uh, you know, in Lincoln, I would say, uh, because I did, I did, I go, went to undergrad and law school and then ended up working there. I would say that my grandparents did have a little bit to do with some good relationships. My grandfather is probably the best business acumen relationship builder in my family that, that I saw. And I tried to emulate a lot of what he did. As far as my network and my business relationships and close relationships in Omaha, I kind of, those didn't come by family. It was more of me starting at the grassroots level and obviously carrying with me friends from college. There were, the, but that as far as the business world, it just, it formed as I sort of gradually worked. And the longer I worked and got to know people, I started these uh, friendships that kind of uh, started to slowly build and, and you add those up over time. And then you re- look around and you've got, you know, many friends, close friends, trusted relationships, which, form your network, but it doesn't just happen. And I know yeah, we'll right. a little bit about that. 
Yeah. Well, and I guess, so I'm curious. So in terms of, you know, I, I, I'd like to, if you don't mind kind of drive this conversation around networking in terms of timeline, right? Help me understand. And what I'm going to get at is, you know, when did you intentionally decide to start working on and fostering and, and maintaining your network? Because can you give me kind of the first few years out of school and, and what you did to maintain that network or, or how you're able to, to meet new people at that point? Yeah, it's a really good question. So my out, coming out of law school, I actually started my career at the University of Nebraska at Omaha. So I worked there two different times. So, you know, coming out of law school, 26-year-old young guy, didn't know a thing. And part of my role was really to build relationships, not only with coaches and staff, but also across campus. And I started to develop some relationships in the community. I was a young guy, so I didn't really know anything, but I was always naturally, I would say, pretty extroverted, outgoing. I'd liked to uh, educate people and I like to listen and learn. And so that just led me to be curious about people. I always have been curious about people. I majored in psychology because I like to know what makes people tick. Um, And that's how I started it. So if you take those three years when I worked here initially, I developed some pretty good relationships and being part of the university system when hockey was starting at UNO, you know, going to games, talking about that in the community, it really started my progression and developing a good network of, of relationships that ended up when I came back in 2010, somewhere there because I kept in touch with a lot of people. So, you know, you're, you're looking at the timeline. I really, I'd left Omaha for about eight years and worked in two other cities, came back and picked up right where I left off. But I really became intentional about developing those relationships and building more when I got back to Omaha in 2010 in my role of associate AD for external relations, as it was that time. And so I was deeply involved with our marketing and our and our fundraising and really being, besides Trev Alberts, the brand awareness within the Omaha community. And so, you know, I really worked to uh, get to know the, the bank market presidents. Um, organizations like Lutz and the people in those organizations and and really wanting to tell the story about what we were doing at UNO. And in order for someone to tell a story about what you're doing, you should probably get to know a little bit about them and what they do. And so I'd ask a million questions, you know, just, okay, now tell me what Lutz does. Okay. Okay. What kind of services? When did Lutz start? Who was it started by? What's the, what are the core values? You know, some of those questions that you just you, you get to know, and, and people in Omaha, probably more than any other community that I've come across, really want to help you and really want to get to know you if you're, if you're interested in them. And I'm, I have a deep interest in people and organizations and just business in general. Yeah, I, I think that's a an extremely important component is that genuine curiosity, right? I, I, I don't know how to explain explain it either, but I, I have a similar feeling in that when I get to know someone, I... I think of it as, as maybe a website, right? If I were to look at Metonic, um, click on the website, you would think I'd be able to get a good idea of who, you know, who Metonic is as a company, but there's a lot there that I probably can't figure out from that website. And so when I meet someone like Josh, I'm like, you know, I can read your biography on, on your website, but there's a lot more to it that I like to try and understand what makes you tick as a person. What are the things that you, and so it's, right. I think that's a, that's a, it's an overlooked, sometimes overlooked uh, feature of networking is being genuinely curious in the person that you're sitting across from, right? Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, the non-starters for me are the people that uh, just want to be transactional and, and you, they feign interest. And I'm pretty good at 
at detecting that pretty quickly. And I just, by nature, I'm, real, I'm a very positive person, but I, I truly like to get to know people. Like if we had more time, Jack, I want to know more about you. I recognize your name. I probably know some of your family members. Sure. And, um, you know, it's it's exciting for me when I get to know uh, new people to hear their story. I mean, everybody's got a story and everybody is unique. Everybody's got different strengths. And there there's a whole lot there that if you just spend a little time with people face to face, you know, like this, this is the best alternative to having an in-person meeting. Zoom, is, Zoom proved its worth during uh, during the recent past couple of years. But I would say. For me, sitting down one-on-one with someone for a coffee meeting for 45 minutes for a lunch, there's nothing better because, you know, I want to sit and ask them questions about where they came from and what were some seminal points in their life that really uh, drove them to do what they do. And, you know, what are the, what are the similarities that, that we have and what are the differences? What are their viewpoints on current issues or at anything that they might be interested in. And I love that. And once I can do that, then then it just accelerates that relationship building process. Absolutely. One thing about you that I'm curious about is some of the challenges. What are some of the challenges that you face, you know, in your role at UNO when trying to market the brand of UNO when, oh, yeah. stuck, when stuck between Creighton and Lincoln? Oh, yeah. Well, and sometimes, you know, it, that, yeah, third in the market. Yeah, it, like we talked about it all the time. It, one of the so challenges when I got there in 2010, we were really in bad financial shape. You know, we had this beautiful, amazing campus and we were competing at a division two level, what I would say in a division one university. And so when we made that switch, it's not like everything was just coming up roses. I mean, we had to we had to get a lot of buy in from stakeholders in the community, stakeholders at on campus. So one of the challenges was explaining why it was important for UNO to make that jump and really listening to people about what they thought when they heard that. And um, so that was one challenge. Another one was just, you know, that recognition of uh, we were an amazing school in Omaha, but really it was like viewed as this way back when viewed as this second tier institution. No, it's a, it's a world-class institution and athletics was the front porch of the university. You know, the real important stuff is happening in the classrooms and in the research labs. And, uh, but athletics is that conduit to help get to know the campus and the school of, you know, 18,000 students, close to 80,000 alums in the community now. And, you know, really branding itself as Omaha's team, Doing the you know rebranding the the iconography the logo uh, the messaging those were some of the challenges but also some of the fun challenges were yeah and now being you know removed from college for I guess geez I graduated in 2017 <laughs> it's 22 now five years which seems I feel like the other day I was saying ah, I graduate here in a few weeks which is ridiculous to me it goes but, quickly doesn't it jack <laughs> yeah it's crazy wait till you're my age it, it flies by <laughs> well i just saw uh, about a month ago i just got engaged and so now it's like oh, congrats thank you i appreciate it so it's those things start happening and it's it's not slowing down at all any of those type of months. you're in the wedding season so you're probably being like 10 to 12 weddings this summer right yeah oh yeah last summer it was last summer it was crazy i think this summer it's even well i think this summer it flips over to my fiance's side it's now more of her her friends and their weddings and then i'm sure the summer before ours because we're gonna do it in fall of 23 will be just nuts but but anyways i i thinking back on it now i've got a younger brother who is currently at uno and he started his career at lincoln and 
I wish I would have thought of college a lot differently back then and maybe taken advantage of UNO a little bit differently than I, because I went to Lincoln and yeah. Lincoln was a great experience, right? I, won't, I wouldn't take it back for the world. I've met people there I'll, I'll, ha- I'll know for the rest of my life. But in terms of pure education-based value uh, and, and some of the costs associated with going to Lincoln, um, I, right. I, yeah, understanding that UNO was absolutely a valid option. I wish, for whatever reason, I didn't in my mind at that time, I wish I had. Yeah, I, that is, it's one of the challenges, but it's also I, every challenge is an opportunity, right? So yeah. They're figuring it out. They've got a, a new chancellor who's working really hard to get that brand out there. A new athletic director who's going to be, he's an amazing guy. He'll be super successful. So, yeah, I wish I wish the Mavs nothing but the best. And even though I'm a Husker two times over, even yeah. if you count working there, I'm a, I'm a true Maverick too. Worked there nine years and, and absolutely loved it. So what are some things outside of your experience with the university system uh, that have you have you benefited from in terms of networking, like activities, sure. groups, things like sure. that? Sure. So I'll talk a little bit about that. I would say that, you know, one of my main value propositions is I really know myself well and I know what I'm pretty good at. And, and I challenge others all the time to to figure that out because I don't, I'm not necessarily one to think that you need to be in X industry. I do think you need to know what value you bring to a company, but also what you value in life from a company, what you expect to come. I call, I call those non-negotiables and coming up with those value statements and those propositions really help guide career. The first thing I would say is get involved in the community. I mean, it seems like that's a no brainer and I know the audience that I'm talking to, but it really is important from a young age, if you can get involved in either a charitable organization, something that you want to support. Um, that's that's one step. I also believe that joining a professional association, there's a lot that are out there, whether it's a chamber group, um, whether it's a rotary, uh, whether it's a professional growth organization like um, there's one that I'm in, Association for Corporate Growth. And it's, it's really it's really great. Uh, Entrepreneurs Organization, there's Leadership Omaha. All of these things helped accelerate my networking. I would also say reading, and I'm going to get to why that's important. So things outside of just networking, reading, staying up on current issues, understanding things that you normally wouldn't understand. And if you don't like to read, you can get information in different ways. You know, the audiobooks, I've been doing that lately, podcasts. I, I love getting information and really for none other than I'm naturally a curious person, but I think it helps when you're networking if you if you can talk about some of those things. What's the most recent book you've read? Most recent book, um, I'm trying to think here. You know, I just read Born to Run. So it's it's an amazing book um, about the Tara Humara uh, Native Americans in Mexico, and it's um, about their culture of running, but it's written by this um, journalist who wrote for, I think, Runners Weekly or something. But it, it's a it's a really, really cool story. And it combines, you know, business philosophy, uh, mission in life with running. So it, yeah, it was a, it was a really good book. Born to Run by Christopher McDougall. It says that's it, Christopher McDougall. That's are you a runner then? Oh yeah, you would look at me and not say that, uh, but yeah, <laughs> at least we're from the shoulders down, right? <laughs> no, I'm, I am, I'm a, I'm a jogger, you know, they call it. So run a couple, I've run three half marathons and I really just enjoy running still as social as I am. And as, as involved in the community and going to lunches and dinners and events, it's part of my job. 
I, when I work out, it's like my alone time and I love it. it it's a, it's a great. Yeah. I, I also, um, I would be described by many as an extrovert. Uh, and yet, I believe that. and yet there's a part of it though, that I, I mean, I absolutely recharge by being alone and in my own head and processing my own thoughts, whether that's on the treadmill or whether that's, you know, lifting weights, right. Getting into a mindset where you're just there to push weight around, whether if it's a lot or a little, I don't care for me, it's a little, but, um, (laughs) it's nice to really blow out that energy, right. And not have to be talking to someone about it. It is. I, it, you know, thank you for saying that people ask me sometimes, gosh, do you ever, you know, how do you recharge? It really is alone time. I wake up early. And so a lot of it, I journal every day too. Um, I've got something called the five minute journal and it's, I can't journal just right. I need to be asked certain questions mm-hmm. and it's really helpful to me. It's a, it, it's a called a gratitude journal. And if I can start that alone with a cup of coffee, uh, collecting my thoughts, it's a really good start to the day. How long have you been implementing or working on those kinds of, you know, personal improvement type items, whether mm. it be working out or journaling? Because I, you know, my, my so my fiance just last week, she recommended we do the, um, the medium version of the 75 hard, which is for <laughs> it's 75. Becoming, yeah. It's becoming <laughs> a real popular thing to do. And I yeah. mean, really respect people that do that. And I, so to answer your question, I'll give you two answers to it. First, I would say I've always been active. And so I've always been and curious. So I've always been working on these things, but it really took shape from organizationally, meaning really defined uh, more, I would say more precisely um, once I hired a coach in 2017. So I hired a business coach who really helped me. She's the one that talked about uh, the non-negotiables that I ended up coaching other people on. But it was really that looking at life from, all right, you're in charge of your own life. Where do you want to be in a year? And I've even chunked that up differently now to say, what do you want to get done in the next 90 days? You know, corporate corporate America is built on these quarterly goals. So I do that in life. And so whether it's uh, physical shape, whether it's my own professional development, uh, whether it's my being a better husband and a, and a father, uh, whether it's spiritual, I kind of categorize these different things to come up with my own strategic plan, if you will. So that really took shape, took hold. I started to about five years ago. And it's something that's near and dear to me. So, um, and also how to be a better friend. I mean, that's a, that's a piece of my plan now. And um, I'm not doing great on the fitness and health. So I try to check in once a week. Am I doing the behaviors necessary, necessary in order for me to, to reach those 90 day goals? What I like to do after 90 days is evaluate what went well and what didn't go as well, what could have gone better and then reset them. So if you can do that, I just think you live a more intentional life. Yeah. That's one thing I've been actively trying to work on is being more intentional, right? I mean, I can, I can wake up every day and get through the day and feel like I'm, you know, you can say, oh, well, maybe better than, better than most. Right. But that's not what I'm here to, I'm not here to be better than most. I'm here to be better than who I am every other day. Right. And so in order to do that, I got to be intentional. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I, that's exactly right. Most people, what I have found anyway, when I work with clients and I did a lot of strategic planning in, in, in Lincoln and at UNO and, and then I do for different businesses, but really typing or writing those goals down makes a difference. You know, very, they can be specific, they can be vague, but if you do write them, you've got a higher chance of success. I read, I got, we're getting off 
topic of networking, but you're talking about stuff I love to talk about right now. Me too. Yeah, obviously, which is fine. <laughs> this, hey, I think an interesting conversation is all, all people are looking for. <laughs> yeah. And, in you know, part of writing goals down, it's, I read this uh, when I was forming these goals. You don't want to share your goals with everybody because then it becomes this like sense of accomplishment, like you've accomplished them without really doing that. But you don't want to tell them to no one to you don't you don't want to just keep them to yourself because then you're really not accountable to anything but what's on the paper. So I try to, I share them with my wife. I share them with if it deals with my son, I'm going to share those with him. But just a couple of people. And I, th- I think that helps. I like that a lot. Yeah, because I find myself sometimes saying, hey, I'm doing this diet now, you know, and then I think, well, did I do that just to try and feel better about telling someone I did that or the one person, my fiance, who I want to make sure is helping me stay accountable to that goal. So one thing, just to go back to the networking kind of piece of it, you mentioned um, reading and, and one of those, you know, the reason for reading is just to stay up on current events and stay knowledgeable about what's going on. And, and my, I feel like, so growing up, I remember my mom used to tell me whether it was in high school or college or in regards to dating is that it was important to be interested and be interesting, right? And in, or, in order to do that, you need to probably fill yourself with some knowledge across the board so that you can be interested and also be interesting to other people, right? Yeah. And you know, you don't want to be a know-it-all, um, but you need to be in my estimation, this is just Josh White saying this, but I think the most interesting people do have that broad breadth of knowledge in different areas. And, you know, when you're, when you're kind of growing up in your twenties and thirties, there's a lot to learn. There is, I'm 48. There's a heck of a lot more for me to learn in life and, um, and in work, but I, I am intentional about learning and keeping up to, on current events, but also learning about companies and what they do, because I, I didn't really grow up in a business minded family. I can't, I come from a family of educators. So I think I'm naturally, I like education and I like to teach, but I really love to learn. And I think that's important when you're developing a relationship with someone to your mom's point, be interested. um, And you'll be a whole lot more interesting if you, if you know a few things too. Right. I, yeah, I agree. I, as far as, um, so I was not born a family of educators. My dad's been in business his whole life, uh, sales, and and his dad was a juvenile judge here in town. Oh. Joe Joe Moylan. I don't know if you if you ever heard, but then Joe's brother Jim Moylan um, was a, an attorney here in town as well. Yep. But since I can remember, I remember going over to my grandpa's house, or even to this day, going over to my folks' house and Jeopardy's on the TV, or we'll you know some sort of knowledge based, you know, educational based thing. And so that's always my, my dad's favorite game to play every Christmas is, is, uh, is Scrabble. And it's like pulling teeth to try and get us all to play Scrabble. (laughs) But, you know, that's kind of the general, that's kind of the general feeling and kind of nature around us as, as a family is, is that educational piece. So I'm sure that's lent its hand a lot to you in terms of being full of knowledge. Yep. And you know, if you want to, if you're developing a relationship with someone and you want to learn, I think too many people are in a rush to talk. And so if they can, if you can go into a relationship and be calm and collected and ask open-ended questions, people like to tell their story. People like to talk about where they're from, you know, what they like to do in their non-work hours, what their work is like, what the culture is like at the company, just start getting into those sorts of things. And you can really find out a lot of interesting information. So we've got a point on here uh, regarding an elevator pitch. And I really want to get your 
opinion on that concept itself because this is an area i personally have never been very intentional in um so <laughs> yeah you're probably pretty natural at it well i i don't know i mean i find myself if you can't already tell talking and talking and talking and then saying all right what's what's the punchline right so i suppose what's your take on that concept of having an I, elevator pitch and, and okay so you talked about you talked about people in life that have kind of guided the way you do certain things. So when I helped launch uh, Guzman Law Firm in the Omaha market, uh, it was a very different law firm. We went out and basically made pitches to companies. And I got a lot of really good sales training uh, from Gina Guzman, who is the head of that law firm, as well as the mobile app startup company. And what I, what I really remember is you should have an elevator pitch and it shouldn't be long. It should be about 20 seconds. And especially if you're going into a business setting, people are going to remember not much more than about 20 seconds of what you say. So say a lot with very few words. It's a challenge for me because like, I like to talk as well. But, you know, elevator pitches are important. Who you are, who you work for, uh, what you do and why you, why you do what you do. I mean, if you can get to those basic things, um, you don't want to be canned. Uh, but you do want to have that down. And, and one of the best things that I did when I was there is um, we practiced, we recorded ourselves doing an elevator pitch. And so it's, and nothing's funnier than watching attorneys practice with each other, making an elevator pitch. It's not their natural habitat or skill strength. So um, I do think that practicing is important. You know, it has to be authentic, though. And so you're probably wondering about that. I think the authenticity is a big part. So if you're if you're naturally pretty funny or even if you're not, I think some of that, you know, that uh, the humor aspect can be good. But yeah, you have to read your audience too, where you're going into. So I do think an elevator pitch is important to have in your back pocket. Do I think you use it all the time? No, but I do think it is important to have one. Otherwise, who are you and why are you trying to meet with me? Yeah, well, exactly. It's it's for people that you come across like that, that say, hey, what is your elevator pitch? Because there's nothing worse than being asked for what your elevator pitch is and not having one, right? Yeah, it's so true. I mean, there's plenty of people I can think of in, in, in my past where, you know, you get, you get kind of stuck in the doldrums of meeting people that maybe aren't the most interesting people. And so you feel kind of like you're able to drive the conversation. And then all of a sudden you run across someone that's very interesting and engaging. And you're like, oh, I did not come prepared for this conversation. <laughs> yeah. And people are usually going to give you a little grace there, but I, it, it is a part of being a good friend and someone that is fun to connect with is being prepared. You know, you didn't, you're, you're taking up someone's time when you're meeting with them. Let's add some value there, you know, Sometimes it's a social setting where you can hang out, but oftentimes it's a coffee meeting, a lunch meeting where they have a lot of other things they can be doing. So let's let's be prepared. Let's learn a little bit about them before you go into it. Maybe don't stalk them, but uh, learn a little bit about who they are, what they do. Um, and it, like you said, if you know an inch deep, you'll know surface level information, but you'll be able to be prepared with some questions about their career, just like you were today. What led you to this? Who were important people in this part of your life? And then you can find out a whole lot more information. What are some other resources or, or programs or anything else that you'd like to mention to people to keep in mind? I mean, we've talked about obviously career, your school, um, the place of work, like we said, some, some community involvement, 
What about, you know, again, I go back to the point of, I feel very fortunate being, you know, raised in, in a family that had family connected some, yeah some family connect. Right. I mean, what about people like you that come from out of town now, obviously you got involved in the university, but if you're new to town, I mean, where do you start? It almost feels like there's some groups that you just can't break into. I imagine. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Well, it's a very good question and point you're making is there's a sign in downtown Reno that says the biggest little city in the world. And Reno is probably two thirds the size of Omaha. And I would say that that sign belongs in Omaha. I think Omaha is the biggest little city in the world. And everybody, it's like, uh, you know, six degrees of Kevin Bacon here. It's like one degree from uh, a life uh, in Omaha. And like, you know, some of the some of the more connected people, they know everybody in town. Right. So, And you've probably seen that within your own family. Coming from the outside, what I've noticed about Omaha, and it, it, I, don't, I doubt it's just particular in Omaha, but I really think it, it um, happens here. If you're willing to help people and you're willing to make good introductions for them and be strategic about how you help them, the sky's the limit on your network and your relationships and how, how far you go. So I found it very easy to break in to these groups, but I would say you have to be patient. Like it's not something that's going to flip on right away. Um, people think that you need to network with people that are older or maybe on the leadership team in places. I say network with your peers too. You need to network with people your own age, really establish good relationships with them. Um, not only because it's fun and you know they're going to be your friends, but you never know in life, right? They might be your boss someday, or you may be looking to hire somebody. We are in this age, and you saw it with the unemployment rates. It's the lowest in the country. We're in a we're in a, a war for talent, as Jim Clifton said in his last book. And that war for talent is real. And if you don't have a network of trusted people around you, you know it's going to be difficult later on when you're trying to find uh, someone to fill a marketing role or fill an HR role or even someone to to help lead an organization or be part of a community board. So. I truly think breaking in to Omaha is easy, but, you know, be intentional about who you're spending your time with, network with your peers, be willing and able to help them. And it might not be with an introduction because maybe there isn't another introduction you make. I bet there is, though, if you think long and hard about it. Uh, and then, you know, uh, be willing to help. I guess that's the main point of this is be willing to help anytime you can. That's awesome. Well, I, I think those are fantastic rules to follow. Um, <clears throat> one thing I was just thinking of, though, was uh, I, I personally, because I moved out to Denver for a year and I worked for UP for a little bit and then sold okay. some freight. I, I sold freight for a third-party logistics company, and that was an education in itself. But um, I can only I, imagine. I I was genuinely, uh, you know, I like I like adventure, right? So I think exploring was always a fun thing that I like to do. Go to new places, try a new restaurant, and for me, it's it's sparking up a conversation with a bartender or a waiter or something and and just getting to know kind of some details about a town. I've been told things about Omaha by friends that moved here from outside of Omaha that I didn't know. Right. Great. Yeah. Isn't that, that's awesome. I love that. Well, and you know, you could, you're probably like a young mayor of Omaha with how many people you know, but it is, it's a fantastic community. I mean, it's, and it's partly why I, we stayed. It's, I just, friendships that are going to, and, and relationships that are going to last a lifetime. I don't want to be anywhere else. It's just a, it's an awesome, 
awesome place to be. And it's, and at the right time, I mean, Omaha has got a lot of really cool things going for it and it's fun to be part of. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Josh, it was a great, I had a great time getting to know you. I I'd like to, you know, like you said, maybe get some time to talk a little bit further outside of this setting, but I appreciate your time today. Yeah. Thanks a lot. You're a great host. I appreciate the time. Thanks, Jack. You bet. You've reached the end of another episode of Let's Talk Business. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on your podcast app, Spotify, or iTunes. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to make light.